Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We started the series a number of weeks ago called This Is Us, and we've really been taking a look, hard look at ourselves. And we started it, we, we kind of said this, Jesus, at the very end of the, what many of you would know as the Sermon on the Mount, the end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, why are you guys all worrying about the speck that's in your friend's eye, a small issue that they have, when you have a big issue of your own, you have a log in your own eye, you have a large issue, and you're worried about their tiny issue. He says, how can you even think of saying to your friend, let me help you with that speck with your tiny issue, when you can't see past your own big issue. And then he goes on and he tells them this. You're hypocrites. You're, you're doing that. You've got big issues. You're worried about their little issues. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Deal with your own big issue. And then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So we started this series called This Is Us. And we've taken a hard look at ourselves. And not only have we done that, but, but we, we've seen how God has made us the diversity of how God has made us. But then what we're saying is, man, what are, what are some of maybe my flaws? And I need to deal with those. And we submit those to the Holy Spirit. And we let the Holy Spirit transform us. No one here fixes anybody, right? We allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. And so that's what we're doing. So we've looked at all kinds of different behavioral styles. And so today we're going to look at another one of those. This one's called the investigator. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Every week what we've done is we've looked at biblical characters. And then I just, I'm promising you this. If you just hang in there with us, you're going to see that this play, the way that this plays out in the coolest way and how Jesus ultimately models this for us and how desperately needed this for today. And I would say this, I believe in the era that we're living today, and we're going to get into this, I believe it's what we need from the church today. John chapter 3, if you got it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We just do this if you're new. We always just do this when we read our primary text. It's a physical reminder that this isn't a book written by some guys. This is now God speaking. Got it? John chapter 3 verse 1 says this. There's a guy named Nicodemus. He's a Jewish religious leader. He's a Pharisee. Verse 2, after dark one evening, he comes to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he says to him, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Verse 3, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, what do you mean, asked Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replies, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life, verse 7. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us the privilege of being in your presence and of worshiping you. And now, God, we want to continue in that spirit of worship. As we've read your word, what we desperately need is for your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and bring light to this. We need you to teach us. We need you to peek into our lives and reveal to us what needs to be dealt with and how can we become more like Christ. So do that, Holy Spirit. Give us a revelation of who God is. Draw us to him, that we would be just even more effective worshipers of him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can sit down. 
And uh, I'll say this again. I'm just telling you, hang in there, because in the end, you're going to see how Christ demonstrates this. So let's, let's look at this passage just a bit. It starts out this way in verse 5, or verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, who was a Pharisee. Now, just for fun, look in your Bible. If you have a hard copy Bible, look in your Bible right now, or maybe the translation you picked up in your phone. If the first word of verse 1 is there, raise your hand. Okay. If the first word in your translation was now, raise your hand. Yep. So we say different translations don't say different things. They say them differently. This is one where I think this is very interesting to me. It's just a nerdy, weird thing, but I think it's very interesting. It says there's a man named Nicodemus, right? But right before that, there's a, uh, there's a particle. And the particle can do a couple different things. The particle can be a, an ongoing thought. Like, hey, I was talking to you about this, and that thought just kind of continues. That's a continuing particle, and it could be that. In that case, the Bible translators use the word now. Now, hey, blah, 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 now, blah, blah, blah. It just keeps going, right? But you can have an adversative particle. An adversative particle means kind of contrary to. In other words, if you go back in John's gospel, John is very brief in his writing. Chapter 1, John writes about how Jesus is God. He talks about what we call the deity of Christ, and he's pointing all that out. And then you get to chapter 2, and at the end of chapter 2, Jesus walks into the temple. Do you remember this story? And he upsets all the tables because these these market people are making a mockery of the temple, and they've got a racket going, and they're just it's become a business to them and not a place of worship. And Jesus is really upset. Now, some people at that time are, are coming to know Jesus, and to believe in Jesus, that he is indeed the Messiah. But there's also this growing spirit of antagonism toward Jesus. Therefore, all this is going on. There's this growing spirit of antagonism toward Jesus. But, do you understand that's adversive? In other words, we're about to see something different, something to the contrary. And I think that's an important thought to keep in mind when you're trying to understand who Nicodemus is. Because Nicodemus is a a Jewish religious leader who is a Pharisee. He's Jewish. You need to know about them, this about him. He's a religious leader. He's a rabbi. More than just a rabbi, he's a Pharisee. Pharisees are the farthest right wing uh, uh, of, of the religious sect. They're the furthest right you can get. Religious, the Pharisees were like, no, no, no. We can't just do it like here where it's pretty good. We have to be extreme in this belief. Like that's who the Pharisees were. And further, the Pharisees absolutely believed in biblical authority. However, Pharisees put actual oral tradition ahead of biblical teaching of, of the Bible itself. So they had what they called the Talmud. The Talmud was the oral tradition. It was what the, the rabbis had written to help you and I, knuckleheads, understand what the scriptures really say. And that was oral tradition. It was written down. And the Pharisees put the oral tradition actually above the writings of God, the, above the Bible. Okay. So here's who Nicodemus is. He's a Jew. Oh, wait a minute. One step more. He's a rabbi. Wait, one step more. He's a Pharisee. Still one step more. We know this historically, that Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is actually the the Jewish uh, Supreme Court. It would be the top mucky-mucks, the biggest decision-makers within Judaism, right? There were 70 of them. He's one of them. This guy's a big deal. He's a power broker. Far right, should be far right wing. Now, here's why this is important. Because there's growing antagonism toward Jesus, If you're the far right wing of Judaism, you have to have an opinion of Jesus. Just stop and think in your head right now a little bit about what you know. What would your opinion have to be of Jesus? You would be an antagonist. 
You have a label for Jesus. You have an idea about Jesus. You would oppose Jesus. That's who Nicodemus should be. That's what we're looking about. He's positioned way over here. Therefore, he already has to have his mind up. Whether he's encountered Jesus, whether he's spent time with him, whether he's seen anything that Jesus has done or or not, he has to be positioned way over here and have thoughts and views about Jesus. They don't have to be backed up with anything. You just have to hold to those thoughts or views. You with me? Okay. Then it says this. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Stop. Just remember this. Why would it mention that he came to him after dark? Because if you're a Jew who happens to be a rabbi, who happens to be a Pharisee, who happens to be a part of the Sanhedrin, there's not, a, there's not a chance that you come to Jesus in broad daylight where everyone could see you. They might think that you're starting to side with Jesus. They might think that you're giving this Jesus some kind of credibility. It says, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he says, Rabbi, teacher. He addresses him as teacher. Rabbi, he says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Now question, do the Pharisees all know that? Do the Pharisees all believe that? Do they actually think that Jesus has come from God to teach them. And so when you first read this, you might think, mm, he's being patronizing, or it's tongue-in-cheek, or maybe it's just said in full-blown sarcasm. Except now watch what he says. And I love this statement. He says, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Okay, now that gives some credibility to the statement right before. It gives some validity. He meant it. He comes to Jesus at night. He should be way over here in this camp because of who he is and whose camp he's in and whose tribe he belongs to. But a man named Nicodemus. And he says to Jesus, teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. And here's how I know that. Because I've seen your miraculous signs. That's evidence that God is with you. Do you understand the kind of man that Nicodemus is so far? He's somebody who's taken it all in. Yeah, he's camped way over here. These should be his views. But he's observing. He's seen what cannot be denied. And he's coming to his own decisions. Now, Jesus says something really interesting to him. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born Again, very interesting. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, if you're my age or older, I don't know if you remember this, but when we, so, so today, people in the culture will hear about those people who are born again. And if you go to church a lot, sometimes they'll say, oh, are you one of those born again? Right? Uh, that phrase at this time doesn't mean a thing because nobody was saying that. In our culture today, it is widely said. It's, widely, it's been widely said in my recollection. And if you're older than me, you could, you could maybe correct this. But I think of it always, this came into a big deal when Jimmy Carter became president. I have no idea. I have older brothers and sisters who've told me about it. But I'm just saying, when Jimmy Carter became president, that's when we first started hearing that phrase. Oh, born again. Jimmy Carter, as a president, said, I'm born again. Right? And so Jesus says that to Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have no clue what that means. Born again. Like that wasn't a phrase of their era. That's not something that people said. And so he asked the, the, the right question. What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean born again? And he makes the appropriate statement. He says, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Because if you've never heard that phrase like we have today, born again, it wouldn't make any sense. And you and I would both ask the exact same question that Nicodemus had asked, which is this. Well, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb? Now Jesus is going to respond to that. He says, I assure you. Now this phrase is important. No one. And I just want that to stick out in your head for a minute. No one 
can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. In other words, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they've been born again. So let me just say this. You might be new. You might be newer. You might say, hey, I don't really call myself a Christian. I certainly wouldn't call myself born again. I'm kind of a good person. I've had a good education. I came from a good family. This is what my mama did. Blah, blah, blah. Right? All that. And Jesus is saying that stuff doesn't matter unless you've been born again. You'll never see the kingdom of God. You'll never experience it here, and you won't experience it eternally. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. Jesus is saying this. Now, he's trying to vet out for us what does it mean to be born again. And so he says this time he describes a little bit different without being born of water and the Spirit. Now, exactly what does that mean, born of water and born of the Spirit? And the answer is we don't 100% know. But I would say this. We think, right? We're pretty clear about this. Uh, to be born of the water, some would say that means baptism, especially if you grew up in certain traditions. However, if you just said that to Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, right, which means he's memorized most of the Mosaic law, there's no reference in the Old Testament about baptism and being born. There's, there's nothing like that. So he wouldn't have thought baptism. Most likely what it means is this. You have to be born as a human first, right? When you're born, the water breaks. We think that's what that is. In other words, he's clearly been born of the water. He's human. He's experienced it. He's been born the first time, but now we're talking about born again, which means this, born of the Spirit. The Scriptures talk about when you commit your life to Christ, when you surrender your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in you and lives in you and dwells in you, and now you are born of the Spirit. So what it means to be born again is this. Simply, you've surrendered your life to Christ, You've committed your life to Christ. You were born the first time or you wouldn't be there doing that. And now you've been born again because now the Holy Spirit has taken over your life. They go on and they talk a little bit more. Jesus says humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now Jesus goes on to talk to him. We've read it about how the wind blows and you don't know where it comes from and you can't explain that, right? But then he says this in verse 9. I love this from Nicodemus. How are these things possible? And here's what you see about Nicodemus. He's actually curious. He actually wants to know. Nicodemus doesn't live in a camp. He's not a part of a tribe. And all of his decisions are made based on that. And I think that is so critically important today. I think it's one of the most important things of the church. Now, let me just just talk about this. And this will irritate some of you. So just buckle up, right? Here's what I believe is happening in the the culture today. And this is why I think this is so important. I think you all know this. I'm just going to say it out loud for all of us. This is what we do today. We have lost the ability of critical thinking. And so here's how we make decisions today. Doggone it. I vote Republican. And so this is what I do. I watch Fox News. I don't have to think for myself. Fox News tells me what to think. And I just accept everything that Fox News says. Doggone it. I vote Democrat. And so I watch CNN. I don't have to think for myself. I don't have to actually look at anything. I just listen to what CNN tells me. And I make all my decisions based on that. Therefore, I know how I'm supposed to feel about masks and vaccines. Therefore, I know how I'm supposed to feel about masks and vaccines. I've already got that all figured out. And I'm saying, that's great. Be a Republican. I'm saying, that's great. Be a Democrat. I'm saying neither one of those has to do any, has anything to do with the lens through which Christians look. We look through the lens of Christ. That is first. You can pledge your allegiance all you want to the flag, and that's great. And I love this country. But first and foremost, my allegiance is to Jesus. 
And so when we make decisions, that's the lens. We have lost the ability to think critically through a Christian lens. In other words, if I, if I vote on this side, I, those folks are all evil, and I just know that whether I met them or not. And if I vote on this side, those folks are all evil, and I don't have to know them, I don't have to meet them, I don't have to make any decisions. It's just done for me. It is lazy thinking. We've lost the art of critical thinking. This is what Nicodemus shows us. Now, here's the deal. Is that just a one-time experience for Nicodemus? Could be. Could be. Well, let's see what the scripture says, because when you get onto John chapter 7, here's what we find. Jesus is now out in the open market, and he's teaching. And he's driving the Pharisees crazy. And so they send the temple guard out, and they say, hey, you go get that boy, and you bring him in here. We're fixing to deal with him. But they come back, and it says this when you get to John chapter 7. When the temple guards returned and they hadn't arrested Jesus, then the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We sent you out there to get him. And I just love this report of theirs, right? Because they say this. We've never actually seen anyone teach like that. We've never heard anything like that. we're We're just amazed We've never heard anybody speak like that. And then Nicodemus speaks up. He jumps in. And Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, that's right, we talked about him. He met with Jesus during the evening. He speaks up and he says, is it even legal to convict a man before he's been given a hearing? Like, in this camp, from where he stands, he should not be defending Jesus. He's in the other camp. This position just means he has to have a very specific view about Jesus, and he just keeps spewing out because that's what his clan thinks. That's what his tribe thinks. And he should just spew out all the more about Jesus. Instead, he actually speaks up and goes, wait a minute, let me just be objective for a minute and look at this. Are, are we even allowed to convict this guy before he's had a hearing? And then finally, we find this out from Nicodemus. And I think this is interesting. At the time you get to John 19, it says afterward. Afterward what? After what? After Jesus has been hung on the cross and is dead. After that, it says that Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy man. And Joseph is a Christ follower. He's a disciple, but he's a secret disciple of Jesus. Why? He was secret because he feared the Jewish leaders, as did many. It's the kind of power that those Jewish leaders wielded. And it says, he asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. Well, it tells us this, that Pilate gives him permission, and so Joseph comes, and he takes the body away. However, with Joseph of Arimathea comes who? Good guess, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. That's right. We read about him. He came to Jesus at night. And watch, because this is really interesting. So in other words, it's one thing to say, hey, this is my camp, and I don't think critically. I just check my brain at the door, and I don't have to think about anything. Then there's the next step that says, okay, I'm in this camp. I actually plugged my brain in today. I'm thinking about everything through my Jesus lens. I'm seeing everything as a follower of Christ. It's a whole other thing to back it up and change your behavior and start acting that way. Right? Let me just make this quick editorial comment. I didn't say this. And this has been one of the most interesting things to me in the church world today. Now, just, just, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying this stuff comes up in the scripture. Right? Think about this for just a minute. People will change churches like that in a heartbeat because the church doesn't share their political view. Okay? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you saw somebody change their political view because it didn't match with Jesus? 
Mm, get back to you. So then it says this. With him comes Nicodemus, the man who would come to you. Now watch how he changed. Watch how it impacts his behavior. He's observing Jesus. He's watching Jesus. He knows about Jesus. It's going to impact his behavior. It says, Nicodemus brought with him 75 pounds of perfume ointment that are made from, er, uh, from myrrh and aloes. Now, let me just put that in perspective for you. He brought 75 pounds. The typical Jewish funeral was done with about five pounds. He's brought 15 times more than what is normal. So here's perspective. Today's average casket cost, right, is roughly eight grand. Eight grand, right? Cremation, you can do a lot cheaper. Average uh, casket cost is about eight grand, okay? Times 15, because this is what Nicodemus does. He brings 15 times. Times 15 is about 120 grand. Nicodemus shows up for Jesus' funeral, and he basically essentially brings him a casket worth about 120 grand. What does that tell you? He puts his money where his mouth is. He's invested in it. He's behaving accordingly. This is Nicodemus. He's in this camp clearly over here. Jew, rabbi, Pharisee, Sanhedrin should naturally have views about Jesus. Instead, he takes a look and says, man, the evidence says something different, and that now changes my behavior. See, I act accordingly. Now, here's the beauty of this. We need it in the church more than ever. We need it in the culture more than ever. We need people who say, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. What should that look like? Right? It should affect our behavior. But some of you are just naturally, giftedly wired that way. It's the way God made you. That personality style, that behavioral style, we call the investigator. We call that the investigator. And if you've had the chance to take our assessment online, because it's on the very front page, when you see that this is us, if you scroll down just a bit, you can take that assessment right there. Here's why I think it's valid. Here's why I think you might take 15 minutes to do it. Because it reveals to you a little bit more about who you are. But here's what's been really crucial. And I've got some of the coolest emails throughout this series. It's that we then learn about who we are and we learn, oh, these could be some of my pitfalls. And we surrender that to the Holy Spirit. And we say, Holy Spirit, you're like, you've got to transform me. You've got to change some of these pitfalls. I've gotten cool, cool emails from people who said, hey, here's what's happened in, my, in our life group, and here's the kind of discussions we've had, and that's all great, and we love that, that it's connecting life groups. Here's what's really cool. I've gotten emails from people who said, here's the transformation that's gone on in my personal life as I've submitted to the Holy Spirit and allowed the Holy Spirit to change me. And the other really cool emails that I've gotten are the people who go, uh, this has been kind of cool for my marriage. Like for Kim and I, we ventured into this about three years ago, and it's been really transformative. It's been really helpful in that she knows I'm not just a freak now. Like this, like this is, you know, like, partly this is how God made me. I'm a handful sometimes. Like partly this is how God made me. But then she's like, oh, Neil, that's actually your unhealthy behavior and make me aware of that. And I understand my wife far better. So I think it's worth 15 minutes. That's up to you. But if you haven't taken it, let me just give you some clues and I'll rattle some of these off. Now, remember this. We say this over and over and over and over. The purpose of finding out what's your behavioral style is not so that you can put people in a box. Oh, they're a this. We don't do that. It's also not so that you can tell other people what they are. We're, we're not doing that. It's also for not, not for you to make excuses. Like, well, I'm sorry if you don't like it, but hey, this is how God made me. It's not part of that. Like, we don't do that, right? 
Further, we've said this, that everybody will find a little bit of each personality style within them, a little of it that resonates. But like when I read these, some of you are going to go, check, 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 right down the list. Okay, that's your predominant style, right? So here's a couple for you. If you feel like you can take care of yourself, and so other people just ought to do the same thing. Hey, I'm an adult. I take care of myself. They ought to take care of themselves. If you feel that way often, you find yourself thinking that way, you might be an investigator. If you're someone who, who may not say things out loud, but you're definitely thinking them in your head, and when you say them in your head, it might, it might actually be very cynical and sarcastic. If it comes out that way in your head, you might be this investigator. If you often feel awkward around other people, like, I, I just always feel awkward. I don't know why that is, but I just feel awkward when I'm with other people. If you're uncomfortable when other people ask you too many questions about yourself, and that makes you uncomfortable, you might be an investigator. If you just flat out know you need some alone time, I need time away from people. That's a big clue. If you think that information is much more important and much more reliable than people's feelings. Well, I know they have their feelings. I have information, right? If you generally feel a need, if you generally need a couple of days to process experiences or really know how you feel about things. And furthermore, if you, if you really like to process before you make any decisions, if you're a processor, you need that processing time, you might be. If you often would much rather observe than participate, this is you. I don't want to really participate, but I just want to, I want to observe. I want to sit back and watch. If you don't understand why people just like to hang out, if you've ever thought that, like if somebody says, hey, do you just want to hang out? And you're like, Hang out. No. What do you want to accomplish? Let's do something. Let's get together and talk about this. But just to hang out seems like a weird idea to you. If you know that you are a great listener, you may be this investigator. They're always good listeners. If being around people for too long tires you out, if you feel like there are times when I just wish I could be invisible, and if the last one, this one is be very interesting, and it's not always necessarily what you think it is, and we'll vet this out a little bit, but if you struggle with generosity, if you know you struggle with generosity, that might be a clue, and we'll look at why. So let me show you all the really, really cool things about these investigators, and if this is you, man, we celebrate you today and the way that God made you. They're very observant. You're typically very observant, and sometimes it will feel like when they're with a group, like they, they, they're not really into this. Oh, they're into it. They're into it from back here, and they are making every mental note. They're taking it all in, right? They're actively observing. They're very perceptive, kind of same idea. They're very studious. They love to study. If, you, if you're an investigator, you probably enjoy study. Now, it might have to be in your area of interest, but you love to study. You're very wired, very curious. Uh, can be very critical thinkers, which I celebrate, and I love that as followers of Jesus. Let's take it in, and let's see it through the proper lens, not the lens of the camp that we're a part of. They tend to be very objective, very insightful, and they're very great listeners. Got it? So if you're the investigator, that's the fifth style of personality. If that's you, if you're a five, an investigator, I love the fact that you're a part of this church. I celebrate that. We desperately need you. I'm thrilled that you're a part of the kingdom of God, but man, desperately we need you. And the reason we need you is because we've got to further the mission. We're not a group of folks that just get together. We're, we're a group of folks that are on mission, and we need these giftings, especially today in the era that we're living. However, we want to let the Spirit transform you also. 
There needs to be some Holy Spirit transformation. And so, Spirit, I'm asking right now, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would just soften hearts and allow people to receive whatever it is you might have to say to them. Father God, I'm asking that you would speak, that you would transform your children. So let me, let me just tell you some, some things. Somebody asked me one time, the way that we're wired in our behavior, is that nature or is it nurture? It's that old argument. Was I born this way and I'm just this way, or did I become this way because of life experience? And the answer is absolutely, 100%. Yes, that is absolutely true. It's both, right? You're made a certain way. You're wired a certain way. However, certain experiences happen to you as a child, and you grow up. You get a message in your head, and you grow up under that message. Okay, so the childhood message that these investigators have oftentimes received for one reason or another, for some experience, if I can get my screen to work, it's not okay to be comfortable in the world. It's it's just not okay. The world's not really safe. And it's not okay for me to be comfortable here. And I don't have what it takes to handle things. I'm inadequate. And I don't have what it takes. And I had somebody that came up to me after first service and just said, man, that resonated with me. Because she said, I've had that realization that this is how I feel. Like, I'm inadequate. There's just something missing. And I always feel awkward. And I'm not right. And she said, I had to ask the Holy Spirit. And I'm surrendering that to you. Heal me of that old wounding. And so if you know somebody who's this behavioral style, if that's kind of who they are, one of the things you can do is just affirm them. You're okay. You're okay. First, First of all, have you all ever done this? Like, you came to this realization that... Yeah, you're a little bit messed up. You don't have all the answers. And then all of a sudden, once you realize that, you look around the room and you're like, he has a problem, she has a problem, they're messed up. Like, you start realizing everybody's in the same boat. Have you gotten there? Like, nobody has it all figured out, everybody. We're all just a train wreck, right? And so the, the, the child has messages. It's not okay to be comfortable in the world, and I don't have what it takes to handle things. Now, there's also a core fear, and the core fear is, is I don't want people to think that I'm incapable or ignorant. Uh, having obligations placed upon me, like that would just be overwhelming. I just couldn't handle that. I couldn't take all that. These are core fears of this investigator. Now, the core sin or the core weakness is avarice. And I was going to use the word greed, but I got one of those calendars. It's like a word a day for the year, and so I had to fit this one in. No. The reason I don't use the word greed is because greed insinuates money or possessions. And so really, avarice is that same idea, but it's the idea that too much interaction with other people is going to lead to a depletion. And, and I don't want to lose all that, so I keep all that. It's, it's, it's greed, but, but just, I just use the word avarice so we're not just instantly thinking about money. So I try to hold on, and it leads to almost hoarding. And hoarding could be in all kinds of ways, but it could just be emotionally. I'm just holding on. I'm just keeping. I'm just keeping everything inside of me. That's the core sin. It's one of the reasons then that generosity becomes a real issue because generosity isn't just money. How many of you know this, that you get, and and, and this isn't just a financial issue, it is, but sometimes it's a stage of life, right? Where when I was, uh, man, when I was 30, in my early 30s, I was just finishing school and I was about $120,000 in the hole, okay? Now, what was the easiest thing for me to do? Write a check or go serve? Go serve. I don't have a check to write, right? Sometimes you get to a point in your life based on your age, it's very possible, that you get also get to a place in your life where you're a little more financially comfortable, and a lot of folks who just go, serve. now, can I just, can I just give you money? Can I just write you a check? Some of you are there, 
and you understand exactly what that is. Okay? Sometimes that's just easier. And so greed is holding on to stuff. It's just not always necessarily financial. Got it? Now, what do those people need to hear? If you know somebody like this, if you're married to somebody like this, if you know somebody in our church like this, just somebody that you know, what they need to know is this. Your needs are not a problem. See, what those people always think is this. Adults, I take care of myself. Those folks ought to take care of themselves too. And so because of that, they think, but if I have needs, I don't want to burden anybody with those. And I don't want to let people know about my needs. My needs are a real problem. No, you need to hear this right now. If this is you, first of all, let me just say this. Your needs are not a problem. Actually, I would also, I want you to have a slightly different perspective. Your needs actually create ministry opportunity for other people in the body of Christ. We actually have people that would like to minister to some of your very specific needs. But if you think that your needs are a burden, you'll hold on to them and you don't share them with anybody, which means in all reality, you don't really get much healing from those. But you've also robbed somebody else of an opportunity to minister to you. And so just know this, your needs are not a problem and you are valid. I think it's one of the great crimes, crimes that happens in our culture today is all the reasons that we gain validity. Right? Here's, here's why you're valid, first and foremost. Here's why you're important. Here's why you're valued, first and foremost. Ready? You're an image bearer of the creator of the universe. You're children of the most high God. Followers of Christ, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that in and of itself, regardless of anything you ever do, places value on you. You are valued highly valuable. So let's talk then. What are some of the unhealthy behaviors? Now, these are not all necessarily true. If you say, I'm the investigator, these aren't all necessarily true of you. But just suspend judgment. Let the Holy Spirit speak. One of the healthy, unhealthy behaviors is, I am what I know. That defines me. The knowledge I gain defines me. Not true. Child of God. Image bearers. Temple of the Holy Spirit. Knowledge means power. If I have more knowledge, I'm just flat out better than those other people. There's a scarcity mentality because I don't, I don't want to become depleted. So I just hold everything. I hold my feelings. I hold my emotions. I hold everything. My resources. I hold on to everything. And which can lead then to hoarding, obviously, right? There's a failure to engage. I just, I just want to stay back here and observe. I don't ever want to engage, right? If you're in a life group, if you're in a life group, you need to engage, be a part of the life group. There's total risk aversion. Can't have any risk. The world is not a safe place. I just stay in my house and lock the door and put on bubble wrap. That's what I do in my house, right? Thinking is greater than feeling. That thinking is greater than feeling. Those people have their emotions. They can have that. Those are useless, though. I think, therefore I am, right? And you become extremely self-reliant. Now, let's talk about what, what, what are some simple practical suggestions and things for you to think about and allow the Holy Spirit to transform you, to change you. Let me just give you a couple things to think about. Number one is this. Number one, where's my screen? Thank you. Go ahead and feel things. Like, it's okay. Experience your emotions. Experience your emotions. Go ahead and feel don't be afraid of that. And furthermore, experience your feelings with other people. Like, man, the Bible says, grieve with those who grieve, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. 
experience emotions and experience them with other people. Sometimes your own feelings. Trust other people. You can trust other people. And you can share yourself with them. I think a life group context. Again, just relationships. Share your feelings. They're valid. Beware. Beware when that scarcity mentality. Uh-oh. Next week is the big give. I don't think I'm going to church next week. I just won't show up. Right? I don't want to share my stuff with anybody. I don't want to share myself with anybody. That's scarcity mentality. Not knowing is not bad. Just know that. It's okay. It's okay periodically to say, I don't know. When is your wife's birthday? I don't know. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say that. Just say that. Don't ever say that one. Don't say that one. Anything else? Sometimes it's okay to just go, hmm, that's a great question. I don't really know. Just take a risk sometimes and just jump in. Just take a risk. Just jump in. Go ahead. Try this one. Just try hanging out. Just try hanging out. Hey, you want to hang out? That sounds stupid. What are we going to do? Yes, I would like to just hang out with you. Yes, I would. Just try that. There's no, there's no reason necessarily. You're just going to hang out. And then the last thing is, and I say this in this manner, go ahead and splurge. I would say splurge emotionally. Splurge with your time. Splurge with your financial resources, yes. But just go ahead and splurge once in a while. Right Now, I want to show you this. I want to show you how Jesus demonstrates this in the coolest way that this shows up in the life of Christ and how he plays this out for us. I want you to see how he's going to just wait, suspend judgment, he's going to observe, and then he's going to make this assessment. It's really cool. This is in Mark's gospel, and Jesus is in the temple, and he's sitting down, and he's near the collection box, right? People are walking by, and they're putting money in, and he's watching. There are a lot of wealthy people they're putting money in their crowds. They're dropping in their money. And a lot of rich people are putting large amounts in the box. Most people are very impressed. Wow. Did you see the offering that just went into the box? That's one of the coolest things. I'm totally impressed. And then a poor widow came. And she dropped in two coins. No? Two coins? No. Two small coins. These weren't like rare and valuable silver dollars. These were dirty, skanky old pennies. That's what they were. And that's what she drops in the box. And then Jesus calls his disciples. And now he's going to make an observation. Now watch. Jesus is over here like this. Just observing. That woman is dressed very poorly. She obviously has no money. Jesus knew what he was looking at. He knew that she was very poor. And to bolster that, she drops in two very small coins. And so you would think he's got his mind made up. And he calls over the disciples to him. And this is what he says. I'm telling you all something, and I'm telling you truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. How is that possible? Jesus, we saw it. We just make up our mind. We don't have to really think about the situation here. And Jesus' explanation is this, because they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. See, it would have been real easy for Jesus to be in this camp, just make up his mind, and now he knows everything he knows to be about this woman. And instead he says, wait a minute, that woman doesn't have a dime and she just put two dimes into the plate. That's actually more. That's actually more. 
See, I think this, this investigator, this fifth behavioral style, is so needed in the church today. And if that's you, man, I'm so glad you're here. We need your help. We need your help. We need to restore an idea of critical thinking where we don't think based on a political camp, which is what we've done today. And Christians, I'm not chewing anybody out. I'm speaking to all of us. We've all fallen into that. We've, almost all of us have fallen into that, and it's just this terrible trap, and we're making decisions based purely on that. Our decisions are based on a Christocentric worldview, right? So then we always try to come up with our big so what to describe these investigators. Investigators can lay down their pride. They can look at what is and put bias aside. If that's you and you're the investigator, you have this rare, unique ability to take in information and then make decisions and base behavior on that. And so for that reason, we're grateful, and we celebrate you, and we celebrate the way God made you and the way that you've developed. And our big now what has been the same for every one of these. You find someone you know, you find someone you love, you find someone you trust, and you just sit down, take some time, and pose this question to them. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's that like? What's it like? How do you experience me? Say it to a spouse. Say it to a good friend. Say it to a Christian brother or sister. And if you're that individual, affirm them. Affirm them. And then with great gentleness, say, I do want to help make you aware of this. Sometimes I experience this. And I'm saying, suspend judgment. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And let the Holy Spirit transform you. Now, again, every week we've played a song. Again, these songs were all written by the same artist, a Christian man, who God really spoke to him as he allowed the Holy Spirit to transform him because he was made aware of some of his great faults. And the Holy Spirit really transformed him. So he wrote a song for each of these behavioral styles. And let me just again repeat this. If you haven't been here for a while, if you're you're new, the really interesting thing about these uh, songs is that He's the voice for all of them. But every time there's a a behavioral style song written, like for instance, today it's the fives or it's the uh, investigator. Only fives, only investigators can be in, in the room and be involved in the writing of lyrics for this song. And only the fives or the investigators can be involved in playing instruments for this particular song. It's all just investigators. And so this may not be your behavioral style. It could be somebody you know. But if this is your behavioral style, let this minister to you for just a minute. Very intentional.
personally love the intentionality. So for those of you who are the investigators of fives, at the very beginning when the bar was filling in, and here at the end where there was just music, you're like, seriously, do we have to hang out? Do we have to just hang out here? Drive <laughs> crazy. So I love that. I think threes, threes, you're, you're the achievers. You were affected by that a little bit because you're like, chop, chop, let's go. What are we waiting for? Let's go. Come on. 
but it's fun to see. So I'm praying that God continues to minister to you and reveal to you and allow the Holy Spirit to transform you. We celebrate God's creation and the way that he's made you investigators. We love the fact and celebrate the fact that you're part of Cedar Valley Church helping us to move forward the mission. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness, God. We worship you, the mighty creator. We love you, Father God. We adore you. We cherish the time that we get to spend in your presence. And I'm praying, Father, this morning for the transformation of your Holy Spirit, that we would more appropriately represent Christ to the nations. God, grant us that, we pray. Amen.